Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now, the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And just like that, we're back, lads. Another round of Premier League action. Everton-Liverpool is going to be the first game we're going to dissect. What were your thoughts on the game, Michael? Oh, God. Right, so uh, obviously, as many of you will know, it was a shambolic referee in display. Uh, overall, like from a neutral perspective, it was a very entertaining game, but just as a Liverpool fan, oh, it was painful to watch. Just Adrian, first of all, like even the Adrian blunder, everyone's looking past that because of what happened with the VAR, but it was just... Oh, awful, awful. Yeah, people are saying it came at Adrian a bit fast, trying to play devil's advocate for him, but uh, really not great position we're in at the minute, Ronan. What do you make of it? Uh, once we lost on Dyke, I didn't think we did that bad defensively, actually. Uh, I think Robertson was poor for the DCL header for the second goal. Not much defence can do about Adrian's mistake for their, their first goal for Michael Keane's goal. Don't think much has to be expanded upon on the refereeing decisions. It was fucking horrendous, man. I just whatever about look what's what's happened happened. We can't retroactively after the game look for Pickford to be punished. I think a lot of the the kind of stuff that's being said on Twitter and online at the minute is all oh, Pickford should have been given a, a few game bans. What happened? It's like no, I think he should have been sent off at the time. I think VAR should have looked at that and be like that was a criminal challenge. <laughs> but once what's happened on the pitch is done unless it was something farcical like I don't think you can go back and ban someone for a few games after a challenge like that after the match fair enough going back if someone says say, say like, for instance there was a racist instance or a homophobic instance that's that's something that you know maybe can't be dealt with on the pitch at the time because the referee can't know for certain yeah of course Pickford, um... Pickford, Pickford they, they had a look at the monitor, they saw the challenge Pickford made. He should have been sent off the time, but once the referees made that decision there, I don't think that's something you can go back and um, change. And in fairness to Pickford, I don't think he actually meant to hurt 
Van Dyke. I think he's just a fucking criminally bad goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah, he's, <laughs> all, he's really under pressure. You can see that he was forced out early and he just doesn't know what he's doing. I don't think it was malicious intent, but yeah, he just doesn't know what he's doing. He's, a, he's but, a junkie. There was some people on Twitter, like it's Twitter's crazy at the minute, like equating this to the Suarez incident. And that's just, again... That is racism. <laughs> that is something in retrospect that you're obviously going to have to deal with. Yeah, it's completely exactly. different. You know, and you don't VAR. Maybe if they had VAR then, they could have dealt with that incident on the pitch. But the way Stockley Park's going, you just never know. You know, uh, They need to put the best referees out of Stockley Park, put them on the pitch. The ref just, I don't know. It's, it's remarkable. Like how, how hard can it be? Like Just sitting at home, you can clearly see that Pickford killed him. Yeah. Alan Shearer put it really well. He said um, that they can spot that Pickford's challenge isn't a clear red, but they can look at the, the Henderson going like that's a clear offside. Like where do you, as as cliche as where do you, where do you draw the line with these uh, VAR calls? Like it's a, it's a disgrace. Yeah, Henderson saying they're bending the lines as well, which he's been uh, respectively fine for. But it's this is uh, we, this is why we get no good interviews anymore. Just players are getting fined for just even saying that. It's a disgrace. If, if yeah, I speak, I am in trouble. <laughs> Honestly, that sort of Honestly, same like, energy. It's, it's just shocking as well because like they've come out and the ban giving a fine to Henderson for that. But you have to be allowed to come out and speak about these things. Like you have to, there has to be some leeway for criticism for players. You can't just silence players when something like that happens. Like fair enough, the player might be wrong. And a player came out and I don't know, came full swinging for referees being like, oh, they're all shocking. They all deserve to lose their jobs and that. That's not what he said. He came out, all he came out and said was like, look, it's not very clear to us as players who, VAR affects the most, not even fans or anything. Players are the ones that are being affected by the most. Coming out and saying, look, there's clearly problems with this. We want some. We just want it to be a little bit more transparency as to what's happening or just a little bit more consistency in the calls that are being made. And the thing that really annoys me is, I kind of noticed it really, is every time the referee this season has gone over and looked at the screen, pretty much every single time he's overturned his original decision. So I, part of me is wondering, is, are they actually making their own decisions once they're told to look at the TV or are they being told to go over look at TV and, and I guess probably a little bit tinfoil but they do, <laughs> yeah, they, do, well. they do they don't tend to have a bit of any backbone once they're told to go and look at the TV like I know I touched upon it in the Brighton and United match that was a clear foul and that penalty should have been upheld but you went to the TV and looked at it and changed the decision you know, I think you're on to something there because there's a bit more scrutiny in like the World Cup and stuff. Remember, it like cut to the VAR room and like we don't have a visual on Stockley Park now. They're sort of uh, anonymous figure, anonymous figures for want of a better word. Like they're just, I don't know. It's it's really hard to know what to do with this VAR situation and it's not getting any better. But on the balance of play, Everton got away with one in a big way there. Yeah, absolutely. Like um, like the Dinier ball in for uh, Calvert-Lewin was just class and uh, they had a good chance with Richardson as well just hitting the post and then flappy hands Adrian concede the goal but Liverpool they probably should have killed the game off uh, Mane had a quite quite a good chance in the first half and then Liverpool started coming into it the last 20 minutes of the game started playing some really good football and I thought they were going to score another couple goals but I think um, Everton were lucky to come away with a point there suppose all Liverpool fans here are wondering what you're thinking of Firmino. Five games in, no goals. I think he's only got one assist so far. Firmino out. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, I think Xhaka comes in, starts playing there instead. I just think summer, uh, we just go and sign Mbappe or something. That's what I'm determined to get. Uh, 
might start a GoFundMe if everyone donates five euro. We'll get Mbappe by summer. He's Let's forget about signing. COVID, lad. Let's donate to Liverpool Football Club to sign Mbappe. <laughs> That's what we could all get behind in these trying times. Absolutely. But I have to say, yeah, Firmino's lack of creativity at the moment is really stark and apparent. Like, he is doing absolutely nothing. He is offering nothing at the moment there. Like, well, he was good in the Chelsea game. I do remember him being good at Chelsea game. But uh, aside from that, like, we, Jot is a great addition to the squad. And maybe if we offload one of the front three, he can slot in there. But there was a man named Timo Werner that had a great weekend, which we'll get on to. And we were in for him. Why didn't we sign him? T- Timo Werner was the one to get, like, in just, retrospect. I think it's just a model of Liverpool signing that we don't want to pay that money up front. Because even Jota, we only paid, I think, 10 million up front. We only paid 5 million up front for Thiago. Um, and Jota, Werner's a better player than Jota. And we're not getting him for much less than we would have paid for Werner. But I think it's just the upfront fee. Liverpool clearly aren't comfortable paying that much money up front. It was different for Van Dijk and Alisson because we just got the money for Coutinho. So we kind of had that money to spend at the time. But I just think at the minute when there's not... Liverpool aren't going to sign someone for big money up front unless we sell a player for big money. Is what mm. just, yeah, they, they want that financial security and the longevity, but if there's where there's a will, there's a way, and there's not many strikers in the game right now that are top quality. And look at Werner, absolutely electric. Anyway, Firmino's really starting to piss me off. He's just offering nothing. <laughs> I think if uh, Minamino a uh, couple of games, like I think he could offer something. I've been quite impressed whenever he's come on, but Firmino, he's just. Oh, he's yeah, just look, not the player he was. The player we all for, loved. I think it's time for Divock Origi. The, man. the absolute, the CEO of playing absolutely fucking awful and still managing to score a goal. He's the yeah. dumb. And he's the CEO of just not arsed about being a footballer. He's brilliant. He's just got the mentality. He's just like, yeah, I'm just here. Could have been something else, but here we are. His football. celebrations are great. Like he, in Champions League final, he banged it in and he ran to the corner flag like he scored against Huddersfield. He just didn't care. Fantastic. Honestly, scenes will never be replicated again. Um, so moving on, uh, Spurs West Ham. Uh, this was a this is a game indicative of the restart. It's absolutely crazy. Spurs eleven shots to West Ham's thirteen, six on target to West Ham's four, fifty two percent possession to forty eight. So very balanced game, but that does not tell the whole story. What do you think, Mixer? Uh, I honestly, it's the first half. Like Spurs, what they were so good. They were so dominant. They shutting down every sort of uh, attack that West Ham had, and they were just clinical going forward. I thought they could have scored five or six in that first half, and it really was like a sort of title challenging esque performance. But obviously, that's not how that game ended with a Lanzini rocket at the end of the game. I was an absolute screamer. This Harry Kane once again showing how underrated his passing ability is, even compared to like his. Because everybody talks about. When you think about Harry Kane, you think about his goals. You don't think about how good his passing is. And even for the first goal, the Sun goal, he just pinged a long ball down the pitch and found Sun. And then nothing has to be said for Wesley Kane's performance. I mean, he's just brilliant. He took his second goal really well. Uh, defenders didn't really close him off at all. Uh, third goal, Harry Kane's not going to miss those types of headers. And even in that, in the second half, he was still pinging a few balls around the place. Had one shot from outside the box. Yeah, he hit the post. He was unlucky. Weak for, yeah. yeah, unlucky not to score. It's looking like it's going to be another Harry Kane could easily hit the thirty goal mark again this season. 
but it's, again, you have to ask questions about Spurs' defence after the way they capitulated. Yeah, like that is a question you definitely need to ask. But Harry Kane at the minute, like the man was getting so much shit last season. Basically, the injuries that plagued him um, was just overriding the performances. Like he was, he is immense. He's clear as the best striker in the league. Like there's no one, no one touching him. And with this new facilitator slash creator role that he has for Son and new, now Bale. He's going to rack up double figures assists. He's, he's, like, you know. he's almost playing the Firmino role that every Liverpool fan says he plays. Plays a little bit deeper, gets the goals, also plays players in behind. I think he's playing that role pretty much. Because even yeah. yesterday, like, just before the just before half-time, Kane was in his own box blocking a shot. And it wasn't even from a corner or anything like that. He just tracked back the full weight. And in terms of fitness and athletic ability, I don't think there's anyone in the league comes close to Harry Kane in that department either. He, just, he is playing a lot deeper. It seems to be the two wingers are kind of pushing on forward because I don't think Kane has the pace of um, who was it? I think it was Son and Bergwijn started. Yeah, Bergwijn yeah. has is absolutely rapid. But I think you just have to put a uh, Kane in cotton wool a bit because you know playing Kane for a lot of games can test the fitness because like if you're especially if you're playing him in that role, Mourinho has him like the blocks he was putting in was insane. It was like Carragher was like outright laughing during the game how good his defending was. There's a big question mark though over can he keep this up for the whole season? Because he's playing with England as well so he played uh, however many games during the break and then if he's playing like this this sort of intensity that Mourinho is having him play now he's, I don't think he'll last for the season. Obviously as like a football fan you want to see great attacking football but I don't think he'd be able to keep this level of fitness for the whole season because there's usually he usually gets injured for a month or two pretty much every season, but he'll still bag the 20 goals, but if he's going the way he's going, it's going to be a serious problem for every Premier League defence. It's the highest uh, goal contributions tally in the open five games of Premier League history, I think. He's got seven goals and five assists, which is just insane. And I think this year even, Spurs not playing Champions League, I don't think he's going to play that much in the Europa League. Uh, I can't, can't remember who Spurs actually have in their group, but... They're not going to be playing him every game in Europa League. They're probably going to because let's be realistic. The, the standard of teams in Europa League is nothing compared to the Champions League, so they can kind of afford to rest in midweek. So he might, we might see his fitness actually not be too effective. Maybe it was just the fact that he was playing so much football the last few seasons, and Spurs kind of slogged their way through the Champions League group stages a few times. So I think that might help in a way. Yeah, and a great start that they had between Kane and Stone before the game, really interesting, was that they're very much on course this season to smash the goal and assist contribution partnership of any Premier League partnership. I think Drogba and Lamps have it yeah, at the minute. The number one. So I, they're really looking uh, to do that, unless Bale can take a lot of the goals and assists away from them, which we never know that could happen, but they can still well do it this season. So uh, anything on the West Ham perspective, lads? Great point for West Ham. Yeah, honestly, I thought they were just absolutely down and out. They were so uninspiring that first half. And then to get that goal late in the second half, like the 82nd minute, I believe it was. And yeah, it was just uh, game over. Or I'd say game over. It was game on from when they got that first goal. And obviously, they were quite lucky in the Davinson Sanchez own goal. But then, oh, just Lanzini, just at the end of the game, was so good. So, so good. There's still no real standout performance though for West Ham. I know they got back into it, but defensively they looked awful. I mean, 
I look at that West Ham team and there's not really many players kind of stand out to me as anyone's had an impressive start this season yet so far. Jared Bowen's been pretty decent. Yeah, he's been good. Fornals uh, has been good as well. Thomas Socek, massive, massive Socek player. Well, he was probably West Ham's best player. But there's still a lot of cracks in that West Ham team. I don't think this is going to be... There's a lot of potential in that West Ham team. Like, There's a lot of good players there. I mean, even... Uh, he's gone. Um, Socek's very good. Declan Rice, prick, but he's very good at football. <laughs> uh, I think Michael Antonio is kind of indicative of... West Ham not fulfilling their potential because Mikel Antonio probably the last six months has been West Ham's best player and he's nowhere near the most technically gifted footballer yeah, in that side. Mikel Antonio, yeah, it's quite just, aggressive, isn't it? He's just a workhorse and obviously sometimes that pays off but you see the likes of Allaire, you see the likes of Felipe Anderson, I know he's gone now, just not really living up to their potential in that West Ham side. Yeah, West Ham are interesting because I think they were trying far too fast after the departure of Pyatt to get into that top six, top four uh, like credentials. And there obviously is a lot of problems with the ownership, but they're just splashing on these 12, 20, 25 million pound players that maybe wouldn't offer the workload and just wouldn't offer the identity that West Ham need where there's more sustainable models in the league like Wolves that are doing so well. And it's obviously very hard to be Wolves and have a partnership with Portugal. But uh, West Ham, I think, just need to do a bit better and just take it a bit more gradual because they're a yo-yoing team. Like they are still, you'd say, in a bit of danger this season. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, they're shocking. They were very lucky to get that point. Extremely lucky. But obviously, Tottenham are Tottenham at the end of the day, and it was very unsurprising that it happened. And it's good, um, like a possible title challenger to Liverpool that. They're dropping points and not having such a dominant um, win, which is good. Probably knocked the confidence a bit for them, so it was good in that sense. You think about it, though, the only hole in that team could be the left-sided centre-back. You know, Dyer's obviously out. He offers them a lot defensively, but like they could have got Skriniar in. Like That could have offered them so much. You know, look yeah. at uh, Sanchez there with that own goal. But from West Ham perspective, it'd be great if they could see a lot more uh, from Fornals and Lanzini competing for that attacking midfielder role because they just need a bit more creativity. So, yeah, a lot of talking points for that game. So, anything else? I think Spurs, they just really lack a midfield. I think that's probably the main sort of spot on the team that they need serious strengthening up. And obviously, for, going forward, they don't need it. Bale, Son, Kane, like they have it sorted. And even Lucas Moore and Bergwijn in uh, reserves. And then... Like defensively, they're all right. They got the two uh, fullbacks with um, Doherty and Regulion in the summer, and then Davidson Sanchez. He's all right, and Eric Dyer. But midfield, like it's nothing, nothing special. But I've been very impressed with Heiberg. He's looked very good. Like I didn't think any of them coming in though. Like what have you made of him? Uh, first game against Everton, he was tragic. Yeah, he, <laughs> he was, was absolutely off. But since that game, uh, Mourinho was given a bit of a kick up the kick up the hole, and he's. Copped on away bit and he's just putting on these tackles and all these nice, really simple passes, keeping it simple. Um, he's been very impressive. But like, what else do they have to offer in like the centre midfield? If, nothing really. Like Eric Dyer, if he's there, but he's not very good. Deli Ali, he's really not very good. Not the player that we thought he could have been, but they need to sign uh, someone to sort of like hold up that midfield. Like Lacelso, he's not really doing anything either. Yeah, so. Moving on to City-Arsenal. Uh, City had 13 shots to Arsenal's 11. 
five shots on target to Arsenal's three. And that's where I think the stats are lying because I didn't think Arsenal did a single thing in this game. And 59% possession with City and 41 to Arsenal. Lads, what do we make of this game? It was not the most enthralling watch in the world. I know that the stats show us a lot of shots there, but Jesus Christ. I know Bukayo Sacco had one or two good chances. And Brilliant, yeah. Probably the standout player for Arsenal in that match. Jesus Christ, it was not not classic by any stretch of the imagination. Even the City goal wasn't anything fantastic. And to be fair, City didn't look brilliant. I, oh, they looked gettable. No, no. And I think that's a bit of a missed opportunity for Arsenal, don't you think? Yeah, there was those two chances that Sacco missed. I think he was unlucky at one of them because I think the one that Ederson saved, he saved it with his shoulder. I don't think Sacco did much wrong there considering how much Ederson's clothed in the space. Ederson's well in nets. Um, it's just one of those ones there's not really much else you could do. Just try and put it past the keeper. Uh, Arsenal probably should have had a penalty right at the end of the first half. Very high boot from Kyle Walker. Oh yeah, that was a penalty. Yeah, you think he still pulled out sufficiently, maybe, though? Still pulled out sufficiently, and I don't think he was that close to Saliba. So, yeah, but you never know with these new VAR and the new rules in the game. Like, I think yeah, v- last season, Van Dijk could have been onside for the Everton game, going back, way back to that, sorry, but it's yeah. mad. There's all these rule changes every every season. But, yeah, I think Aubameyang needs to offer more. What is he doing in, this, in, in these games? I know he's quality, but he's not had a great start to the season. He's got that contract. He doesn't care. He's got the money. It's not. It's this thing. He was playing your best players in our best positions, and Aubameyang's been playing on the wing all season. And I mean, I suppose it kind of worked on last year. But they have players that can play on the wing there, especially if you move Bukayo Saka up more forward instead of playing as a left wing back. You play him as a left winger, which I think they have actually tried playing the last while. Even moving him up forward, putting Aubameyang through the middle, and then Pepe on the left because. As much as Pepe didn't live up to the price tag last year, I don't think he's that bad of a footballer. Like he's still decent. No, I think he, yeah, he could still do some things, but never seventy-two million pounds. To be fair, but that's no. You know. I think he actually is. I think he actually has played all right the few times I have seen him this season. But it's yeah, you're just Aubameyang's second best striker in the league, only to Harry Kane, and you're not paying him in his best position, which is there's no real reason why not. Like it's if you think about Fabinho. Fabinho's probably going to have to slot it at centre-half now for the rest of the season. And that's not ideal because his best position is number six. But that's not on Klopp. Klopp has to play him there because maybe all the centre-halves aren't as good. But Aubameyang, Arsenal have the players to play out in the wing, even they brought in Willian and that. It's, I don't really understand why they're not playing Aubameyang through the centre. Going to go with a bit of a bold one here. I think he needs that chemistry with Lacazette. I know Lacazette on his own, he's a bit of a bum, but... I think the two are better than talking, well. mate. Ah, not even that. Just I think the two they link up well. And they have that cool celebration. Like I think they the chemistry. He needs that strike partner. Like even if you play uh, as Brexit as it gets four four two, you have the two um, like the left mid and the right mid, and then you have the two boys up top. Like I think they'd be a problem together. I think they link up quite well. Obviously, they have that chemistry. I think that's what Aubameyang needs, that sort of chemistry and strike partner to get firing again in the Premier League. But I, I don't know about you, but I, I look at the Arsenal lineup and you're leaving it like I said, fair enough, whatever reasons. And it's just unsatisfying to the eye. Like, Sack is really good. William, I'm not too convinced on now, over 200,000 a week. Pepe, are they kind of including him now for the sake of go on son we paid you this amount of money uh, so it's just I don't like their strike force it just doesn't do it for me 
It'd be interesting to see because Party didn't Party only came on as a sub in this match, so it'd be interesting to see how he changes up that midfield once he does come in because I think their midfield is a lot stronger with him in there. His nickname the, is the Octopus, sorry, and he's got a big octopus tattoo on him because he uh, <laughs> just gets everything. He win he won more balls than the like Arsenal midfielders like of Xhaka and Ceballos last season. So he he's an animal. Like Yeah, and whether or not because I know Arsenal have kind of played around with either playing four to back or playing three to back with wing back wing backs. But even if you have someone in there that's gonna break down the play, it kind of frees up Xhaka or Ceballos to kind of push on a bit more and be a bit more creative in midfield. Whereas before you didn't really have that player who's going to break everything down, you kind of had to have both midfielders or all three midfielders kind of working back, and you didn't really have that creative player who could push on that much. Yeah, look, and I think if you have the back two, and then you stick Party and Zach Jack in front of it, and then maybe William as the facilitator, that's a solid core of four, and you can let the fullbacks go on. So I think there's a lot more to be excited about about Arsenal. They're not going to be maybe as leaky at the back as they they were last season. I think a big problem for Arsenal as well is just how much they changed the starting eleven. Like switching between the two formations, like it's going to be detrimental to them. They need sort of some, you know, with Liverpool they just they play the same system every week, so it works. So they need to find that one system that works for them and keep as little change as possible because the dy- the team dynamic will obviously change a lot of. There's more players coming in and out of the starting eleven, but if they have that sort of core, like like at least six or seven people who are you know are going to start every week like Liverpool would have that with obviously Alisson and the fourth back and then three up front but they need some sort of stability in their team like they're two all over the shop I suppose it's rebuilding as well though because Artel has only just gotten into the job he's barely in a job a year I think and you'd imagine if if he's given time that starting line is going to be completely different in two or three years because even if you look at when Klopp first came in our entire back four has changed. I think the only one of the back four that is still there from Brendan Rodgers signings is Joe Gomez, and he didn't really play that much. New yeah. goalkeeper. Um, still have Henderson in the midfield, but Fabinho, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Wijnaldum, they're all club signings. The front three, Firmino was still there um, under Rodgers, but he was only just signed under Rodgers. And then Mane and Salah are new players as well. Um Trent's not a Trent's not a club signing, but he was promoted into the first team. He was given his chance to play regularly first team football under club. So, like, it's, I think it's just Arteta is going to struggle for a while to until Arteta brings in the players he wants in his team. I think there will be a lot of changes week to week in terms yes. of him trying to figure out of the players he has there now who's going to suit his style of play the best. Yeah, I'm sure like Arteta's from the Pep school of thought. Like he's gonna have the names on the paper who he wants to bring in for his style of play, but it's just a case of whether he gets the backing from the board because even that party deal was done far too late. As an Arsenal fan, you might have thought of like start a protest or something, you know, there's no activity, nothing's been done. Oh yeah, we signed party. That's not fair enough. You know? So um it's a bit of a mad one, Arsenal at the minute. Yeah, but but uh, Arsenal, it's, it's going to be tough for them. Sorry, sorry for cutting across sorry. you there, but it's gonna be tough for them to attract the names because they're not gonna have Champions League football. Like, it was surprising that party went to them, considering they are in the Europa League. But like a lot of players, that's the dream. Like to play in Champions League, play against the best teams in the world. Something lacking from uh, an Arsenal perspective. Yeah, fair enough. Hard to disagree with that. Um, now moving on to Chelsea Southampton, another cracker of a game. Eleven shots from Chelsea to Southampton's thirteen, and 
didn't bo- quite bottle a 3-0 lead like uh, Spurs, but they did it in very similar fashion now. And five shots on target for Chelsea, six to Southampton. 54% of the possession to Chelsea and 46 to Southampton. What do we make of this, lads? Goals. The main standout is Werner and Havertz both getting their first Premier League goals. So Werner was absolutely brilliant. He actually had the ball in the net three times because the first, the first one was called real out for offside. It's, it's kind of... It was kind of like you know, he just he, the performances were there for Werner. He hasn't. I don't think he's had a single bad game yet. It's just he got, didn't find the back of the net. Um, but, you know, he just he proved in that match just how good he is. I think the big one that's kind of stood out for me is Trey Adams and Danny Ings. The more they play together, the more complete as a strike partnership they look. Because I know it took a long time for Trey Adams to get his first Premier League goal, but he's he's definitely looking a lot more comfortable in the Premier League now. Obviously. His goal came from a bit of a mix-up at the back. And we're talking about bad goalkeeping with Adrian. In fairness to Kepa, he still didn't do great. But in fairness to Kepa, that goal is far more on Kurt Zoom, I think. He's played that ball really short. And it's a clear back pass, so Kepa can't really pick it up. Still didn't do great, in fairness. But I wouldn't solely blame Kepa for that goal. In fact, I think it is the majority of the blame should be Pass down to Zuma, but again, it's it's Chelsea's defense just doesn't look good enough if they want a challenge for Europe again this season. Any any thoughts there, Michael? Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, Chelsea just they they, need, they haven't really got off the ground running yet. Made all these signings. Obviously, Werner and Havertz getting the goals like it was good for them. Probably confidence to be boosted now in the next couple of games. And I know I I keep seeing on Twitter people like Oh Jorginho, what a pass. Just pumped it up the up the pitch like just hoping, and everyone's like, "Oh, your midfielder could never." He just hit and hoped. It was a hail mary ball. Uh, lucky that Ver- or yeah, Werner got in the end of it, and it was a good finish. But uh, yeah, just kept uh, just so funny, He's so bad. He is absolutely diabolical. But uh, just go back to your earlier point, Ronan. Trey Adams, he looks to have filled out quite a bit. Like he looks like a big presence of a of He's a center forward. He's an absolute monster. And I had a lot of faith in Shea Adams, maybe blind faith, but I th- I just seen good things with him. And he's not going to be Danny Ings. Less, less like Danny Ings, they got a great deal in Danny Ings, uh, Liverpool, you know, uh, 20 million for Liverpool, 20 goals for Southampton. Like he should have been our backup striker over Regi, but then would he have settled for that? He's obviously having a much better career going off and doing it by himself at Southampton. But yeah, you just have to think that Chelsea defence just isn't good enough to challenge for the title. That's just plain oh, and simple. Yeah, I, I think that there's a, you could have a lot more confidence in that Tottenham defence. Obviously, we haven't seen Mendy get a run in the team. You know, a goalkeeper is a big uh, part of a defence, as we've seen with Kepa. But I still don't think, like, Thiago Silva is just so past it. Like, like what do you think on that? Like, uh, did he, he didn't play against... He didn't play the weekend, I don't think, did he? No, because he still had fatigue. He's, he's, fatigued, he's yeah. a bum. He is. Yeah. Um, I suppose at centre halves, they kind of get a little bit more out of their careers. They kind of they kind of peak later. But yeah, he's definitely past his prime. Uh, the, that little bit of pace is gone. He's not. He doesn't look the strongest. Like he doesn't. He's not that physical. And it just depends who you're going to play in beside him. Because if you're playing Christensen, Christensen's a lot more of a physical centre half. But maybe technically, in, in terms of football IQ, he's not up there with Thiago. And then 
who else do you have? Rudiger. I don't think anyone's ever been convinced by Rudiger. And Tomori is still young, so maybe there's potential there for him to improve. I think he was the best out of that crop. Like I think Tammy yeah. Abraham is a dead footballer. Mason Mount's widely overrated. I, I like Tomori. I'd like to see more of him. I think the the best back four for Chelsea would be Reese James on the right and then in Azpilicueta, Tamori centre-back partnership and then Chilwell on the left. Just think apart from that, like they have too many centre-backs. Kurt Zuma, he was good under Conte and then he had that horrific injury where he broke his leg and he hasn't really been back to it. He had the loan spell at Everton, wasn't very good there. Thiago Silva, he's old he's not the player that a lot of Chelsea fans thought he would or could have been and Christensen he's not very good Rudiger yeah as Ronan said no one's ever been said on him thinking yeah he's the best thing since sliced bread like he's trash I think it's just if you played Tomori and Thiago Silva neither of them are overly physical footballers defenders wouldn't call either the strongest and I think they'd be grand against the smaller teams but like really physical sides, like I should say Burnley, something like mm. that is going to play long Chris balls Wood. in the box. Yeah, Chris, Chris Wood, Chris Wood, yeah. Ashley Barnes, both really physical strikers who could bully those two centre halves, and like your fullbacks aren't going to because Chilwell and Reese James, again the two of them aren't exactly most physical either. So again, teams who are going to launch balls into the box could bully the two of them. It's, Thiago Silva in particular, he's just not strong at all. Tomori, there is a lot of potential there. He's quite good. But like, like those two lads going up, if you start those two and you put them up against Harry Kane, he will have an absolute field day. And son. Oh my God. Feeding <laughs> those guys. Field day. Ripping the paces. Uh, like Chelsea are loving a 3 3 at the minute. Like I was looking at the West Brom game, which Thiago Silva did start, and I just seen Callum Robinson and all the boys just release the press, Pereira. They were on him, they were hounding him. And he was like, wait, what's this? This isn't this isn't part of the script. He was looking so <laughs> uncomfortable. Like his mobility just wasn't there. Uh so yeah. Any other thoughts on Chelsea before we close up our um, review? It's good to see Werner get uh, his first goals in the league. Obviously it's kind of sad because wanted him as a Liverpool fan, but just in the the general theme of the Premier League, just all these goals, it's just great football to watch. There's only been one nil nil since the the Premier League's been back and it's just great viewing. Yeah, it is absolutely remarkable viewing, to be honest with you. Well, uh, we're going to move into an interesting segment of our podcast. The talk about the potential breakaway European Super League, whether this will replace the Champions League remains to be seen, whether this will be a fuck you to UEFA, or it will be a departure from the Premier League. Who knows? What are your thoughts on this, lads? It's obviously only broken today. They rejected, the, as we we were talking about on the podcast last week, we were talking about um, Project Big Picture, and that was backed by Liverpool and United, and it was rejected um, last week. But uh, on Sky Sports today, they were saying that uh, it was Liverpool and United are pioneering for this new sort of European um, Premier League, um, Spurs, Arsenal and City have also expressed an interest in it as well as a lot of the other bigger European teams. Obviously, it's only a new sort of thing that's come into the press today. We don't have a lot on it, but it seems quite interesting, sort of like a a league during the Premier League season. So it's kind of to replace the Champions League. So they'll be playing home and away 
and then they'd have the domestic league the weekend is what I believe it'll be but the Premier League will be reduced to 18 teams I think obviously it's all new so all the details are mm. as new that'd to be, us as they are to a lot of other people but it seems quite being, interesting yeah that'd be incorporating Project Big Picture as well like so it's it's hard to know like I heard people saying that if they get one if they don't get uh, one in the door like Project Big Picture they're just going to throw their toys out of the pram and go and create a Super League but it just could be a case that they want to do both yeah I think the big one here is is being promised. I don't know how you don't know how reliable it is, but they're being promised of six billion euro. I think it's euro. Yeah, and no dollars. Uh, invest six million dollars investment from a Wall Street banker, uh, banking firm, which obviously plays into the Glazers and FSG, who are both Americans. Uh, so, I th- think it is the idea of kind of an American model of. Like say for example, you look at the NFL; they have different conferences on each side. They kind of just want all the big teams playing against each other. No relegation. It's all just about money. This is just what this is. It's just about money. It's just the big six wanting as much money as possible. Which the rich getting I'm, richer. Rich getting richer. To be honest, if it happened, uh, I'd probably stop supporting Liverpool. And like I know, like Liverpool wouldn't be my first team. Obviously, Sporting Dock and that as well would be my first team. But like I've been watching Liverpool since I was nine years old, I wouldn't even slightly be arsed with this. It's it's just a fuck you to all the smaller football clubs, which I suppose fans who don't really support kind of but don't support or don't even have you don't have to support your local, but they don't even have an idea of what their local football club goes through, the financial troubles of not being one of the big football clubs. Like people don't realise how like even down like in League Two, League One, you've seen it over and over again during the pandemic, the clubs are going out of business over really small amounts of monies in the grand scheme of things. It was Macclesfield, was it? Or Mansfield went out of and business. Murray as well last year, obviously COVID, yeah. not related to COVID. It's just really uncertain at the best of times, isn't it? Yeah, but they went they went out of business over 500k dash. And Man United are only half an hour down the road from them. Like, it's an absolute joke. Yeah, and Man United are that, just a vehicle for debt. Like the Glazers are yeah. laying more and more debt upon them, but they're never going to go out of business. You know? No, but they're just, try- they're just trying to kill any slim hope any of the smaller teams have of getting near the top. Like If something like this happens, you're never going to see the likes of Leicester happen ever again in the yeah. Premier League or even in Germany or the likes. Like, even like if you look at Germany or France, you know, you had Montpellier winning in 2012, which was their first ever league title. Um, Wolfsburg winning it in 2009, I think which was their first league title, you're not going to get the likes that happen if there's been six million thrown at the top five of the top six clubs in England. In a way, it could be maybe better, in a sense, not from a football fan perspective, of course, that's the biggest loser in all this, but like a Champions League could become like a Europa League, obviously they had like drastically less funding, so like feeder clubs like Leon and stuff would be winning the Champions League on the regular, and we'd just be looking at this spectacle of the European Super League, which I honestly wouldn't be interested in. After one year of it, you don't want to see playing Bayern like twice a week or whatever. It's no. the mad thing is that this is the talk of this is that being implemented in 2022, and that's really not that far away. But if it's all these American companies, like even you think to the American sports, they're not like teams; they're franchises. So mm. they're treated far more as a business rather than a sports team. So they care more. It's all money, money, money to them. They don't give a fuck about fans. They don't care about anything. It's just. How can we make the most money possible? Yeah, and that is fair enough. But the good thing 
about the uh, NFL franchise, it's a closed ecosystem. So you obviously have college football as well. I don't know a whole pile about the NFL, so feel free to jump in, Mixer. But so you're going to be getting drafting lads and it's going to be a pool of players in the States. Whereas in Europe, there are so many leagues, there are so many clubs, there's like a Dundalk here in Ireland, there's tiers of leagues in every country. And it's only going to be a few breakaway clubs. So they're going to be getting richer while pillaging all of the smaller clubs consistently. Uh, so it's just it just doesn't work. That's why the good things about the NFL model wouldn't translate over to Europe at all. Absolutely, yeah. Completely agree with that. Be good to see Bill Hulsizer are trying to force Dundalk's way into the European Super League there. <laughs> yes. The American boys. <laughs> it's going to happen. Hard out the cash. No, but it's, it just, even, even at that as well, it's awful for the fans as well because if you're playing an 18-team Super League, there's going to be no away fans at matches and then home fans aren't going to show up as often for the European matches because you'll have Bayern Munich playing the likes of PSG in an 80,000-seater stadium, but they're playing a PSG or a Liverpool or Man United every week and eventually there's not going to be that much of a draw because mm. you may look at it now and be like oh Liverpool against Bayern Munich that's happening twice a season guaranteed but you could look at that and Liverpool might have a shit season or Liverpool might not be overly invested like some, if like Jurgen Klopp was the manager he might be like no I want to focus on the Premier League if it was a situation where mm. they did both where the Super League overtook the Champions League and just not play his first team because he's more invested in the Premier League so Liverpool could be sitting 10th in the Super League and then Bayern Munich sitting first and then the Bayern Munich fans be like oh but Liverpool are Liverpool are sitting nine places behind us why would we want to go to this when we maybe mm. have like a Dortmund or a Leipzig at the weekend That's far away to that and there'll be 24 games as well. So like you'd have teams chopping and change and maybe City are gunning for the Super League. So that might affect their Premier League season, might affect Premier League revenue. There are so many different permutations to this. It's, it's really intriguing. It is really intriguing, but it's ultimately quite bad for football at the end for of the day. For fans, you're not going to get away fans at them at all because the novelty of European football is if you get to the group stages, you've got three away matches. And... Reality is there's only going to be a handful of people to go to all three of those away matches. Be realistic. The likes of Liverpool and Man United, most most fans are working class. They're not going to have the money to go away to a European away game every second week. Mm -hmm. Realistically, they're just not going to get the thousands that they get at Champions League matches. Like The away fans section for Bayern Munich is about eight or 9,000. You're not going to get that. Yeah, there's two things here. They either go the anti-fans route you know which a lot of clubs are saying they'd rather play without fans like a lot of these premium big clubs just don't care about the fans they just don't care if they're there and like even the sky they're saying players are playing with inhibition and stuff they're trying shots they would normally try like villa and stuff so you know how true all that is and then the second thing is maybe they could heavily subsidize tickets like they do in spain already for european away i think half the price is subsidized they could do even more of that after getting even more money, but would they do that? Probably not. So, realistically, flights aren't going to be cheap as well because hotel hotel companies and bookings.com and stuff like that, and the likes of Ryanair are just going to skyrocket their prices once they see the fixtures come out. That's yeah. what they do every year. What's yeah, the, the Premier League fixture yeah. out? The, the prices from Dublin to Liverpool and Dublin to Manchester and that just skyrocket so it's, it's, it's not going to be affordable 
Yeah, it's for the corp, the corporate side of things that's good for them because they're going to make loads of money. But in the enjoyable sense of football is for the fans. It's losing to pay. Like just watching the Champions League finalists going back a couple of years when Liverpool were playing Madrid, I was just checking the flights to Madrid just for a laugh. Just like, oh, if I was go, how much would it cost? And every time Liverpool scored on a sky scanner, the prices of flights were going up from Dublin to Madrid. And then after the game, they were sold out. So. You're right there with hotels and the and the airlines. They're just going to be able to charge whatever they want. So it's not even just a ticket for the game. It's going to be your transport. So it's just going to be uh, uh, like fans are just going to be so not bothered going over to all these. Like when you think Liverpool's group um, a couple of years ago was PSG, Napoli, and then Red Star. Like they were such appealing games, and it was the thought of going to Paris for a couple of nights for Liverpool. And now it's oh yeah, we've Paris this week, we Barcelona next week. We're in Munich the week after that. Like people aren't going to care. Yeah, because it's just a once-off every now and then. And like, it's even even see over here when Irish clubs get into Europe. Like last last year when I was going to Riga for the Dundalk match, before Dundalk went through, uh, before Dundalk got drawn against Riga, prices the prices for Dublin to Riga were I think it was like thirty euro return flights, and they shot up to something like two hundred. Like you had lads doing. 18 hour journeys instead of the three hour journey from Dublin to Riga because it was 100 euro cheaper than getting strike flights directly. It's just, I mean, it, it is just, it's just pricing the normal value yeah. of the game. Price gouging, but it is the same. Like, you know, uh, we have a Lithuanian friend that is the same when uh, all the families aren't working, they skyrocket the prices because they know they want to go home from Ireland, you know, to Poland, Estonia, all these countries. So it's how they make their money, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so any other thoughts on the European Super League, lads, before we move on to predictions? I know it's all just early days, like something sort of breaking today, but I am quite interested to see how this sort of plays out over the next couple of weeks. And it might not happen. Like we were talking about this Project Big Picture last week and how it could revolutionize the game and how it could be mad. And it just fell through in a week. So this could all just be, as they say, fake news by this time next week. But the thing is, it actually hasn't fallen through. They're just going to come at it with a sledgehammer again, try and push it through again. You know, this is all feed into it. This is why this is leaking, I believe, that they're going to try this Project Big Picture again. We're like, well, you don't like that. We're going to be gone out of the league. We're going to go to Europe. You know, so it's 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 hardball tactics. Like FSG have this down to a T, you know. The only crazy. other interesting thing really about this is the pitch only includes five Premier League teams. So it'll be interesting to see of the big six. You'd imagine out of the big six, it'd be Spurs or City that are left out. Arsenal. Or Arsenal. Um, yeah, it's, apparently it's Arsenal. Apparently it's Arsenal. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. I, mm, I, that. I suppose Spurs actually have won a European trophy. So that might They're making big effect. moves now, you know, with the stadium and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But I, that's the only thing, other thing really is be interesting to see. Especially if all six of them came out and backed it and then one of them was left out, you'd be fairly raging if you were that club. Yeah, pretty funny. And like, you wonder where that leaves Everton now, like such a big club, they're trying to make a new stadium, Premier League revenue shrink or whatever. State of it's Everton. Mad. State of Everton, yeah, but it's just going to leave everything hanging in the balance, to be honest with you. Uh, so yeah, on to the predictions now, lads. We have uh, five great games to predict, the first of which is United-Chelsea, and I've gone for an audacious 4-3 United win. So what are your thoughts, lads? Uh, I would agree with you in the sense that I think United will win. Uh, it went slightly less audacious, but still sort of out there, and now uh, with a 3-2 
United win. Unfortunately, we don't have the current standings for the league because Connell wasn't able to be with us for the podcast day, but we'll keep you posted on our socials. Um, we'll post it on our Instagram and Twitter, the, the standings as they are going into this weekend, the Premier League fixtures. But yeah, United 3, Chelsea 2. I have gone for a Chelsea win, 3-1. I don't think United, not much fair, neither team have been overly impressive. I think the only time United actually looked good is when they're on the counter-attack, which is what happened um, at the weekend. I know we didn't review that match. But the three goals that United scored are all uh, the three goals after the 85th minute are all on the counter-attack. I don't think they're going to get that chance against Chelsea. I think Chelsea are definitely... With the defensive problems Chelsea have had, they're probably going to try make sure they're not conceding as many chances against a club like United. So I feel like... Especially with Varner and Howard's getting their first goals, Chelsea going to nick a 3 1 win here. That's fair. Uh, moving on, we have Liverpool hosting Sheffield United or the Blades. I've gone for a 3 1 Liverpool win. I had a 2 1, and I was maybe even debating a draw, but I just think Sheffield United are looking horrible at the minute. And as bad as it losing Van Dijk is, I think we're going to have enough to see this over the line. I've also gone with a Liverpool dub. Uh, I had before the starting of the recording, I had then 3-1, but then I changed my mind mid-podcast to a 3-0 Liverpool win. Yeah, just Sheffield. They haven't been the team they were last season. Um, They've been quite poor. Obviously, uh, Liverpool losing Van Dijk isn't going to be good, but it's more sort of the... I'm saying this now, could completely bite me in the arse now, but Van Dijk is more for the... The big hitters, like who do Blades have? They have Ryan Brewster. This all could be a terrible prediction, but he's not going to do anything. Lee Sharp is a bum. Liverpool, easy win, 3 0. Uh, I've gone for 4 1. Don't think it's, it's. Sheffield don't look anywhere near as defensively competent uh, this season as they did last year. Going forward, they don't offer much, but they might just hit us on the break or something. Uh, defensively, we might just struggle without Van Dyke. You don't know yet. It'll be interesting to see who plays there because I know Matt's not playing during the week. I think he picked up a knock as well during the Everton match. So it'll be interesting to see who we play, but 4 1 Liverpool. Absolutely. Um, Arsenal Leicester. This is our game here, and it's I've gone for a 2 1 win to the Arse. What do you think, lads? Uh, disagree with you there. Um, I'm going back to back losses for Arteta and the boys. 2 uh, 1 Leicester. Same. Mount of goals just the opposite way. I just think Leicester are, they've been quite good this season, even though they have lost their most recent or what was the score against Leicester? Was it that they lost to Villa? One nil yeah, Villa. So yeah. I think they're gonna bounce back quite well from that. Uh yeah, two one. Uh, I've gone for two one Leicester as well. Back to back <laughs> to Pete's for Leicester. I think they'll need to come out here and get a result if they want to kind of solidify their challenge for Europe. So two one. That is fair. And now a huge game because we like to give the little boys a bit of spotlight as well. We're not creating a European Super League ourselves. Uh, Brighton, West Brom. And I've gone for a 2-1 win for West Brom. I've uh, gone, I think there'll be a draw here. 2-2. Just think. Uh, West Brom, I quite like them going forward. They're very poor defensively, but Brighton are as well. So I think it'll be quite an open game. Uh, Yeah, so a draw between the two sides. uh, four goals in this game I've gone for a 3-0 Brighton win uh, I know they haven't had a great start to the season they've only got four points so far watch them at the weekend though I, they deserve more than the four points they've gotten should have mm. gotten something out of the United game should have gotten something out of the Chelsea game 
and they've had a relatively tough start to the season. So I think there's enough to suggest there. They play really good attack in football, Brighton. Still not convinced about them defensively, but yeah, Trina. Okay, moving on to our final game on the predictor. Villa hosting Leeds United, a clash of two mid-table, you could say, teams in serious form. Um, and yeah, I've gone for a 2-1 win for Villa. Or sorry, no, I'm changing that. I've gone for a 2-2 draw. Change our mind mid-prediction. So uh, Villa, obviously, uh, slapped Liverpool recently enough, and they're one of two teams in Europe's top five leagues with a 100% record. And I think they're going to continue that run. It's only themselves and AC Milan have won all their games um, early doors in the season still. But I'm um, going for Aston Villa win 3-2 against Leeds. I'm going to go for a bit of an upset here. 2-0 Leeds. Uh, I think Leeds are hard done by not to get something out of the game last night against Wolves. Still, I don't know. I just think going out of a limb here saying 2-0 Leeds. Obviously, that concludes our predictor. Some outrageous predictions, but not quite in the same vein as last week. But uh, all we know is going to be a very exciting weekend of Premier League football, as per usual. Uh, so you can find us on all of our socials, which we posted down in the links below, and on whatever platform you're watching this. And we'll be back next week with more Premier League predicting action. Thanks very much. Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.